0: So, um, I'm going to start t- with telling you about the best Christmas that I, I can remember. Um, some might say it might be Rosemary's first Christmas or my first Christmas as a married woman. But in reality, um, it was the Christmas of 2013. I was in Kansas City. I was between jobs. Um, your board here hadn't decided whether or not I was going to be able to come on as children's director because that was the winter of all the snowfall. Um, <laughs> but... I remember being there with $300 to my bank account, not knowing what I was going to do, rent coming up, and my first Christmas without my family. Um, I remember feeling alone and lost. And like I just had nothing left for no no purpose, nothing left to give, and really didn't feel like I could receive much either. Um, I was puppy sitting for a friend of mine, and She was talking about what I was doing for Christmas, and I explained to her my situation, and um, when she came back from her family Christmas that was just a little bit before Christmas, uh, she sat down with me and she said, Tabitha, I can't pay you much, but what I can give you is a ticket home for Christmas. Um, So... In my excitement, I knew this was such a joy to me. This was such a surprise to me. I couldn't wait to do it with my family, too. So I bust on my phone and I said, You're right, I'm coming home from Christmas. Don't tell anyone. Because I couldn't afford to rent a car, so I had to have a way to get home, right? And so... <laughs> A couple days before Christmas, I get all packed up. I get on that plane. The excitement is mounting, and I'm like shaking with excitement because I haven't seen my family in over a year. And now here I am. It is time, and I get to see them. And I get off the plane, and I said, I'm here. My brother announces to the family, Hey guys, I've got to go deliver Tap this Christmas present so she gets it in time for Christmas. Um, Well, he did deliver it in time for Christmas. Uh, (laughs) He got to the airport. He picked me up and walks in the door of his house, and he says, all right, guys, the package has been delivered. The package that was being delivered wasn't a Christmas present. The package being delivered was having all of the family together for Christmas. And so I walk into the living room and I said, Merry Christmas. And my mom, faster than I think I've ever seen her move in my life, flew off the couch and into my arms. And she said, what are you doing here? As she cried tears of joy. As a mom, I now understand the greatness of that moment to, to feel the connection with, with your child again. Um, that was joy. That relationship was joy, and it was a welcome to the Christmas season because what was once doom and sadness was now filled with joy and relationship that I was going to be otherwise lacking. Raise your hand if now you all have a Christmas memory that brought you great joy. We should all have a memory of of Christmas, and if not Christmas, a memory where we have received joy from a relationship or from, from somebody investing in us. That's a welcome to this Christmas season for sure. Isaiah was trying to also welcome joy, um, and we're going to read it, and while it doesn't really specifically talk about joy in this passage, I think after today, maybe we'll have an understanding of what this joy might really look like. We are reading out of Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 and 8 through 11. Um, If you are able, I ask that you please stand for the reading of God's word. the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. For I, the Lord, love justice in my faithfulness i will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them their descendants will be known uh, among the nations and their offspring among the people all who see or all those who see them will acknowledge that they are the people the lord has blessed i delight greatly in the lord my soul rejoices in god for he has clothed me in garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and the bride adorns herself with her jewels, for the the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes the seed to grow. So the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So this week we were kinda of, I, I do a devotional, an advent devotional with my kids. And we talked about the palm tree. And one of my kids goes, why is the palm tree in our, our, our nativity scene? Um, well, it talks about how like an old stump is the line that Jesus will come from. It's the line of Jesse. And it, it talks about the kingship or the authority of David that has, was given to him as a young boy. Which then continues on, as we know, from generation to generation to generation of kings who ruled over Israel. And we see this ebb and flow of let's turn to God, let's turn away from God, let's turn to God, let's turn away from God. And the farther we get from David's rule, the farther the Israelites seem to be straying from God. Now we have um, a really poor Well, in some ways, a really poor Roman empire, or not Roman, Israel empire, right? But we see that their cities and their foreign trade is growing so much. They are thriving as a nation. They're becoming cosmopolitan areas. There's foreign trade taking place. People are coming from all around to be a part of their cities. The upper class and the middle class, things were going great for them. So with that, though, comes a lot of partying. You think of, like, for America, we think of Las Vegas, right? It's a big, floundering city. It's growing. It's cosmopolitan. It's new. It's exciting. And there's a whole lot of sin taking place there. And that's much of what the Israelites are seeing. Isaiah actually talks about the evil and the wrongdoing and the loosening of morals that are taking place within Israel at the time. On the flip side of that, the poor were being so, or taxed so heavily that they couldn't get out of being poor. And so they just become more and more and more poor. Um, when I was working in Kansas City at the homeless shelter, I was working with poor people and with homeless people. And the poorer they were, the more they tended to take, the the more... They held the, the sorry the less they held on to their morals because they felt like they just really had nothing left to give, and so now they are in despair. Right. As Isaiah is seeing all of this take place, he's he's understanding there's tough times ahead for the Israelites, and, and God is giving him this prophetic word, this prophetic vision for them to follow. Um, also with this thriving metropolis and this influx of foreign trade and this influx of people coming into the cities to visit comes an increase in foreign gods. Now, this isn't something new for the Israelites. Again, they face it over and over and over again. And again, with an increase of foreign gods, there is a decrease in worship to Yahweh and worship to the true God. And so we're seeing now this nation that was once a great and godly, God-serving, God-fearing nation has once again fallen to their humanity. They have fallen to their own selfishness, their own pride, their own search for happiness. Now, there's worse, or it gets worse. Because, as, as you guys might know, there's a battle about to ensue. It is the Battle of the Assyrian army. And the the new king for the Assyrians, he is ruthless. He put out, I, I was reading into it and I could go into all of the details of it, but that would take a long time. So what it comes down to is his number one goal was to still, was to kill and was to destroy. That is how he took over, So much land. And on top of that, Egypt is saying, hey, we'll help you. Yeah, sure. But Egypt's motive for helping the Israelites was actually purely selfish. Because if we kept the battle up there between Assyria and Israel, then they'll leave us alone down here because they can't even make it past those lines. And and so what seemed like a good neighbor was really not a good neighbor. They In the midst of their circumstances of being attacked by the Assyrians, the rich and the prosperous land of Israel began to fall. Those that had been sitting in a nice and cushy life now have lost their wealth, they've lost their, po- or their, their property, they've even lost loved ones to, to the Assyrians. Their cities were destroyed and in ruins. We can see that Isaiah is predicting that. He says their cities will be in ruins, right? He says that that a city that generations have built will be destroyed. Now, again, something I saw in Kansas City, those that lost their homes and came to the shelter for help, were some of the saddest and most brokenhearted people I knew. They were, there was so much despair for them, and so I can only imagine for the Israelites, it's not just a sense of personal loss, it's a sense of the loss of the system, the loss of the organization, the loss of what was around them that they've trusted for so long is now gone. And so they found themselves in a place of sorrow, and a place of despair, and a place of feeling like they were prisoners to their circumstances. And in some cases, they were actually prisoners due to their circumstances. Isaiah was trying to warn Israel in his, his prophetic writings about their impending doom. But due to the Israelites' own selfishness, they couldn't see what Isaiah was trying to say. due to their circumstances being that, that they were being attacked by the assyrians so due, due to their or their their circumstances they were left with with nothing but sorrow, grief and devastation. You see for the people of Israel there was no joy. There was no sorrow. There there was only sorrow. For the years surrounding year 700, because for them it wasn't just a year of this is awful, but for the years surrounding year 700, they were bad years. They were years filled with suffering. They were thought that, and and the Israelis, they may have thought that um, if their circumstances would change, then they would be joyful again. They would have thought that if the Assyrian virus would just go away, that they would have joy again. If they got a new king, then they would have joy again. Or that maybe in 300 years, they'll find joy when things are different or when things return back to normal. Does this sound a little familiar? Um, So I want you to, some of you guys might have to move to do this, or if you don't feel comfortable moving, that's completely fine. You jot it down on the back of your sermon notes. But I want you guys to talk about or write down things in our world that are stripping us of our joy. I'll give just a little bit longer for those that are jotting things down and those that are talking to finish up. So I have heard the phrase or the word 2020 used like a four-letter word more times in the last month than I think I ever want to hear the word or the phrase "2020" again in my lifetime, right? Things like "oh, that is so 2020," referring to things are just so bad right now, or "that's not good, that's so 2020." Another phrase that I've heard is um, "I just can't wait to get back to normal." Okay, hey, it's 2020. Anything goes, let's put up our Christmas tree six months early, right? These are all things that I've, I've literally, I've heard these things. I'm not joking. Um, We've been suffering through the year 2020. Bear with me on this one. Again, this is something that I've heard. I'm not trying to make a political statement of any, any type. After the election, this virus will be gone, Maybe 2020 will get better, or 2021 will be better. I just can't wait for 2021 to show up. I hope you can see the confusion on my face here, because this is all so selfish. I'm sorry, but it is so selfish. And it's it's selfish because we're not allowing Christ to be the provider of that joy. We're letting what our circumstances are control who we are, what we do, and how we act. And that, to me, is not where joy comes from. We find ourselves longing and waiting for normal. We blame others for what is lost. I can't go to the restaurant I want to eat at tonight. They just need to open up and stop living in fear. I can't. I can't wait to go wherever I want to do or wherever I want to without any restrictions. I can't wait to just be able to celebrate the way I want to celebrate without fear of getting in trouble. Are these the things that we desire? The other side of this. So, so that part. Those are things that. We do have some control over because we have control over our emotions, we have control over our thoughts. Things we don't have control over are those that have lost their jobs because of the circumstances they have faced this year. We don't have control over the riots that break out in the street. We don't have control over people's properties getting destroyed. We don't have control over those that have lost loved ones to this disease and to the depression that's caused by isolation because of this disease. We have seen our death, we have seen destruction, we have seen despair, we have seen sorrow. All in one year, we're facing this. On top of that, we have seen a rise of other religions. I was looking at the demographics of an area and um, talking with a few of my friends from this area, and it's like 40% of this, this city are unchurched and have zero desire to know about God. It's kind of heartbreaking to me, actually. That's almost half of this, this city, not Battle Creek. It's a different city. You see, not only are we seeing a rise in other religions, but we're seeing this draw away from Christianity. We have also experienced um, a loosening of morals, not just in the world. We have seen a loosening morals of morals within the church, the church universal, the umbrella church. All of these things are leading to sorrow, are leading to despair, are leading to us feeling so blah. Feeling just so helpless. We're just finding ourselves waiting for the day for all of this to end. That where there will be no more brokenness, no more violence. We're waiting for normal to return. For peace to come. And for joy to reign. Now I know I've hit the doom and gloom side of this really hard, but... If you think about it, what happens after Isaiah's message? The exile. The years of darkness. The years where Israel felt as though God was not with them. Circumstances and selfishness led to a departure from God. The message Isaiah was bringing wasn't just that of all of this feeling that you're feeling right now. He was trying to wake Israel up and say, this is what is going on, Israel. Wake up. This is, this is the bad side, but there's so much more than the bad side of this. If you allow God to be the center, if you allow the, or the, the joy of the Lord to be your strength. Now, he doesn't say that, but Nehemiah does, who is another prophet, Talks all about this, right? It's not just a message for Israel to hear. This message that, that Israel, or that Isaiah wrote, it's a prophecy. It's a foretelling of what is going to happen. Now we know the end because it, we experience well we didn't personally experience the end or the, the coming of the Messiah, but we know it happens. They didn't know that. And so he was trying to tell them, hey, wake up, Israel. A great day is coming, a day of joy. He is offering them this joy of the Lord. that, And, and through this joy, um, they can experience their worst possible circumstances and still receive a blessing. This is what he is saying to them. Here, I'm going to kind of break it down, so bear with me. I'm going to be looking a lot more at my notes right now. Um, So he talks about where we see the poor. There is good news for them. He says that the news is that God is sending a Savior who will turn their sorrows into joy. He will give joy to the brokenhearted. He, and he will give comfort to the brokenhearted. He will free the captives. He will give hope to the prisoners. He will bring comfort to those that mourn. He will give joy to those that miss the days of the right relationship with God. God restores beauty to the ugliness that surrounds them day in and day out. Uh, he will give, give them the voices to praise and to replace the despair that they are going through. When they receive all of this and allow it to radically change their way of life, they will be seen as oaks of righteousness. Now, if you've ever seen an oak tree, it's not a little wimpy thing. Oak trees are huge. Oak trees are sturdy. It takes a whole heck of a lot to take an oak tree down. When you allow the joy of the Lord to be your strength... You will be seen as an oak tree of righteousness where circumstances hit you and you might feel it, but the joy of the Lord is your strength and you will not let it let you fall. That is, that's what that means. He will bring justice for those that have been wronged and they will receive, or the Israelites will receive an an everlasting covenant with God, which leads to blessing, not just for themselves, but for those who come behind them. They will rejoice in God because of what He has done for them. It's one of my favorite things. I'm, I'm, this is not in my notes, but in Kansas City, we had this verse that we always came up at the end, or right in the middle, and it was, "Come and listen." all you who fear God and let me tell you what he has done for me. They will rejoice because of what God has done for them and they will give good news to the poor. They will be clothed in salvation and righteousness and in their faithfulness they will be made righteous for the world to see. What a joy that could be. Think about that. Think about that. What a joy it would be for the Holy Spirit to be so in you that you just can't help tell people what God has done for you. Unfortunately, they let their selfishness and their circumstances get in their way. This brought them sorrow, it brought them despair, it brought them um, death and destruction. And as a result of it, they lost their joy. So they turned to do whatever you want to to make yourself feel happy. Okay, so again, I said we're on the flip side of this. We know what already happened. We know that the Messiah has come. And, and we receive the same promise today as Isaiah gave the Israelites in the year 700. That promise that if we walk, or not that if we walk in God's will, that it will make us happy. In fact, if you recall, that's the exact opposite of that. It doesn't say, walk in the will of the Lord and you'll always be happy. No, it says, when you walk with me, when you do the will of the Lord, I promise you there will be trials and sufferings of many kinds. So I say that uh, joy is not happiness. Because if joy was happiness, then, well, we wouldn't be struggling with sorrows and struggles of many kinds. So I'm going to challenge you to turn to those next to you or write this down, whichever you are comfortable with. And I want you to describe joy without using the word happy or um, elated or a- anything to do with feeling good. Okay? Okay. Describe the word joy without those things. Now, I understand that that might have been one of the harder things you've had to do today. I asked one of our daycare parents, or daycare teachers, what joy was, because she was asking me what I was doing this week um, as I was preparing my sermon. And she's like, wait, without using the word happy? Yeah, and she goes, um, my babies? It's so hard for us in our culture to separate happiness from joy. I'll talk a little bit more about what is this joy, but I'm going to put it simply. We welcome joy when we welcome relationships. That's what this whole sermon is about is welcoming joy. And I haven't been very joyful yet. But just like the Israelites had to wait 300 years for the coming of the Messiah, they didn't have to wait on the joy of the Lord. and You didn't have to wait for me to get to this point in my sermon to have the joy of God, right? So I've kept you waiting long enough. Let's get to what is joy. I've talked about joy as relationship. Is Is joy the gift that we receive or give that gives us delight? Is that what joy is? Is it the happiness we pour out because of giving people things? Is it the emotion we exhibit because people are being nice to each other? Is it getting the desires of your heart? That's what American culture tells us it is. Joy is, as Merriam-Webster described it, It is a gaining in success. Joy is a feeling that is evoked when you're getting what you want. Uh, Apparently, Merriam-Webster didn't know about the joy of the Lord. See, joy isn't about sharing an emotion with somebody, because if that was the case, then it would be fleeting. It wouldn't be circumstantial, because if that was the case, then we would only find ourselves living in the good times. It isn't about our own desires, because if it were, then we wouldn't care who we hurt in the process of feeling good. Um, We are living in a season of joy, right? We're supposed to be living in this good, happy, good feelings. There's Christmas cheer, Christmas happiness everywhere you look. It looks like Christmas threw up. I feel like this year there's been a whole lot more Christmas go up for a lot longer But I'm gonna tell you, if I'm honest, I have not felt very joyous this holiday season. Um, And I'm guilty of that. I am guilty on the end of not feeling joyous because of my own selfishness. Um, Now, this originally wasn't in my sermon. It went in about an hour ago, maybe. On Monday of this week, the kids went, or no, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday of this week, Harper Creek Elementary Schools went back to school for the first time since Thanksgiving. And it was pure chaos. 35 schedules from kindergarten through middle school, four different schools. I I feel sorry for John and, and Cindy and Miss Julie at the daycare because, let me tell you, I was not a great person. I didn't allow the joy of the Lord to be the strength in the middle of my circumstances. Instead, I let my stress take over, and I found myself snappier. I found myself in just not in a great place for a week and a half. Circumstances rob me of the joy of the Lord. And I have to repent for that. Because the reality is, I let my circumstances and my selfishness dictate my joy. I'm struggling to find joy this season because I feel like we're stuck in a four-letter word called 2020. Where there just seems... To be that it's not even a matter of like, oh, I'm so over this." I'm struggling to find joy, because, like I didn't build the relationship with those children. I had, I had the opportunity to build the life of 35 kids this week, and I couldn't because I was stuck in my circumstances. I let my selfishness take over. And that's unfortunate. And I know I'm not alone because I know so many people who have decided that they were going to put their own desires over the desires of somebody else who they weren't, they weren't going to stop and pay attention to their surroundings because I want what I want and hey, it's 2020 so anything goes and it's all about me feeling good right now, me seeking comfort, in whatever I want to do at the risk of somebody else. Now, I told you I was going to get to the joy part of this. Well, I am. I have two distinct recollections of, of joy. I, I know I already told you one, but these two are, are different. The first one was when I was in Kansas City. I've referenced that, I think, a lot more today than I have any other time. But shortly before I got on the airplane and I flew to Colorado... I had, um, Christmas with these women at the day shelter and we had donations. I I think we've had more donations there for Christmas gifts than any one person could ever know what to do with. Right. We had enough of every single item that 50 women got one of every item donated. Um, and it was so great to hand these out to these women because they were so grateful, so happy that somebody said, I am worth investing in. And then I heard them sitting around talking about how, oh, man, this be- this necklace is so beautiful. Oh, my friend Sheila, she's going to love this present. So I see joy there because not only was she giving, were these women being given these presents, being given this feeling of worth, worth worthiness feeling of worth but they also were finding ways to invest in their other people they put aside what they wanted and gave it to somebody else to make them a little bit better that's joy laying down own desires to for, for the sake of somebody else the other one was in horrocks uh just a few weeks ago And um, it was just when I had found out we're going to go into virtual learning, so I'm kind of not in a great mood. And I walk in, and the lady at the, uh, the soup stand says, hey, how are you doing today? And I felt like I could actually tell her what was going on. And when I told her what was going on, she wasn't rude. She wasn't judgmental. Instead, she goes, man, You know what, though, you have a blessed day. And I walked away feeling joyous because somebody took the time to listen to me. In the midst of bad circumstances, somebody took the time for me. And then I found myself going around the store and every person I encountered, I just couldn't help but saying, I want to bless them. I want to talk with them. And then I get up to the register, and there's this guy, and he is not in a good mood. He's feeling pressured from his wife to buy her flowers and pressured, pressured from his mom because his mom thinks that the wife is just a gold digger. And the wife feels like the mom is overbearing and controlling and manipulative, right? I learned all of this from the stranger standing in front of me in the line. But I realized he must have sensed the joy of the Lord within me. Because here I am, this complete stranger. And he is telling me about how much things are not great for his circumstances right now. And I had the opportunity to share a little bit of joy with him, to tell him that while well, right now this may not be ideal, it will get better for you. That's joy. Joy is laying down our circumstances, laying down our personal desires to bring joy to others. Joy is respecting people's boundaries. It is being uncomfortable for the sake of others' comfort. Joy is sacrificing yourself to make somebody else's life better. Joy is allowing God to heal the broken and foster healing for those that have been broken. Joy is receiving God's comfort when you are mourning and comforting others when they are mourning. Joy is allowing God to rebuild what is broken in your life and help you to help others rebuild the brokenness in their life. Joy is allowing God to free you from your sins and helping others to be free from their own sins. Joy is hearing the good news of God's salvation and telling the good news of God's salvation Joy is receiving blessings and giving blessings. It is receiving hope for freedom and giving hope to those that are stuck in their own prisons or stuck in their impossible situations. It is receiving life from God through salvation in Christ. And joy is giving others life by laying down your own life so that they might live. The joy of the Lord comes only through his salvation It is only possible through a relationship with Jesus. The joy of the Lord, and and, and giving the joy out to people this season, this year going into the new year, is building those relationships with people that might think a little bit differently than I do. It, It is building those relationships that says, You know, I'm going to be there for you even if I can't be with you. So don't let the suffering of 2020 hinder you from the joy that you can receive through Jesus Christ. Don't let the suffering of 2020 hinder you from relationships that can be built. The joy of the Lord is the strength you need to overcome your selfishness, your sorrow, your greed, your envy, your loose morals. I'm speaking to myself on on a lot of these, right? We can list so many different things that if we receive the joy of the Lord, we will have the strength to overcome. The joy of the Lord gives you strength to give news to the poor. The joy of the Lord, or that comes from the Lord... Um, gives us the strength to build the kingdom of heaven on earth. The kingdom that was destroyed is now having the opportunity to be built back up. The Davidic kingdom that fell, right? The the kingdom that King David built up and his descendants carried on is now being rebuilt. But with Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the king over the earth, and he gives us joy, he gives you joy. Think about that. God has redeemed you, and we know this. We welcome joy because we know we have been redeemed. We know we have been overcome. And so while 2020 may not have been great, don't let the circumstances of 2020 draw you into your own selfishness and out of your own happiness, right? Or, uh, uh, sorry, not out of your own happiness, and into your own stri- desire for happiness, Don't let 2020 have that control. Instead, put your joy in the Lord because he has given you new life. And when you do that, the joy of the Lord will be your strength to to let other people know about him. When you say phrases like that, so 2020, it, it takes away from the power that God has So instead of that being so 2020, let's be the kingdom of God. Let's be the joy of the Lord. So I ask you today, where are you at in 2020? Are you seeking happiness through filling your own comforts? Are you letting the year have control over how you view everything? Are you living the, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do because, hey, it's 2020 and anything goes. Or are you going to allow the joy of the Lord to move you forward? I, I hope that the answer is that you're going to allow the joy of the Lord to move you forward. And if you are living in the circumstances that are, if you are allowing circumstances to take over or if you are allowing yourself to get caught up in the do what you want to mentality, I pray that you surrender those to God so that he can be the joy to overcome those things. Let us pray. Um, And while I'm praying, I'm going to have the worship team go ahead and come back up. Heavenly Father, we want to welcome joy so badly. We're in a season where things are supposed to be cheerful. They're supposed to be joyous. And we find ourselves stuck in a time of difficult circumstances and a time full of um, seeing selfishness everywhere we turn around, God. But you give us a greater joy than what we can ever experience, a greater joy than what we can ever understand. And so we pray that we will allow you to infiltrate us, to root out the selfishness and the search for personal happiness uh, and fill those things with joy so that others might come to know you in your glory and in your fullness. May we seek your joy. May we welcome your joy the rest of this season and as we head into a new year. We thank you that you are our strength and we pray that we will invest in building your kingdom here on this earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.